Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice podcast. It is so great to be with you today. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane, a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. Our conversations here are about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. I want to share with you the good news, which is my book, Intentional Parenting, which I have written with two of my wonderful, wonderful colleagues. Um, it's Intentional Parenting, a practical guide to awareness integration theory, which we wrote with Dr. Nicole Jafari and Dr. Eileen Manukian, uh, both scholars. I've done a lot of research working with children. Um, and uh, we took the uh, practicality of the awareness integration and we took it age by age by age, which means uh, that we have uh, taken this book and uh, went to infancy, toddler, uh, school age, um, teens, preteens, and even your young adults who might still be in your home. So uh, it gives you um, cognitive concepts and developmental concepts and emotional regulation and how to how to parent. So whether you're a parent or you are um, an educator or you are um, a teacher, a therapist, all of that would really, really help you uh, to get better understanding of um, how to parent in a way that makes it easier for you and your kid. And uh, for all of the therapists who are out there and life coaches who are wanting to work with your clients from this perspective, please get the book, Awareness Integration Theory, uh, Clear the Past, Create a New Future and Live a Fulfilled Life. Um, it was forwarded by uh, my favorite Dr. Jeffrey Zeich and uh, uh, Dr. Philip Zimbardo has written it. So I'm very excited about this book and I'm positive that it would support you if you are a therapist or a coach and really want to work uh, with your clients from this perspective. We're actually certifying uh, therapists and coaches, so let me know if that's something you like to do. In this episode, I am so excited to chat with Dr. Ronald Alexander. He is a psychotherapist, a mindfulness trainer, and a creativity business and leadership coach. He has a private psychotherapy and executive coach practice in Santa Monica, California. He's the executive director of the Open Mind Training program that offers personal and professional training programs in mindfulness-based mind-body therapies and transformational leadership and meditation. He is the author of the highly acclaimed book, Wise Mind, Open Mind, Finding Purpose and Meaning in Times of Crisis, Loss, and Change. And we're going to talk about his new book, Core Creativity, the mindful way to unlock your creative self. You can find him at corecreation.com. I had a blast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Really enjoyed the book. It has systematically teaches you how to do meditation and guided visualization in different areas. And it's, it's just, it's awesome. I really enjoyed my conversation with him and I hope you do as much as I did. Subscribe to my podcast, to my YouTube channel, and connect with me. Tell your friends about this podcast and connect with me through my uh, website, fujanzang.com, or any of the social media. For any of you wonderful, wonderful listeners and viewers, if you want to do the work um, on yourself, 
take on the awareness integration and uh, do it as a self-help book, um, get my life reset. And uh, it is the awareness integration path to creating the life you want. You can get that from Amazon. Uh, we've done research in many of the universities and we found that just by even doing the um, book, Life Reset, you can raise your self-esteem and confidence and bring down your depression about 76% and anxiety about 64%. I'm excited about all that you could do with uh, the awareness integration. Um, so without further ado, remember, I love to hear from you, so let me know. Uh, without further ado, I am excited to bring you um, the one and only Dr. Ronald Alexander. Here he is. Dr. Ronald Alexander, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. It is so nice to have you here with us. Today, we're going to talk about your latest book, Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. I love this book in a way that it every chapter um, has either one or two or more um, um, guided imagery and meditation path where it could take everyone systematically uh, toward... Um, any of the topics that is really matters for them and you have different topics that you go through the meditation so it's very practical for everyone who's with us and um can get the book it is such a practical not only has the theory not only how tells you um you know why you need to do what you need to do but it actually has specific ways that you can practice as you go through it so what got you to want to write this book for us well, <clears throat> my colleagues have been asking me for the last 40 years, when am I going to write the book on creativity and mindfulness? And so um, it's been a subspecialty of mine since I began consulting and coaching in the television, film, music, and the dot-com computer uh, industry since I was 30. And so that's like 30s, 40s, 50s, four, four decades. It's been in the making. Beautiful. So you talk about core creativity. Can we first talk about what do you mean by core creativity? How is that different than regular creativity? Well, core creativity is when you step out of your lane. You think differently. You begin to image and connect to the intuitive self. And... In core creativity, there are three ways for downloading. One is you download from the top down, meaning the collective or the universal consciousness. And throughout history, musicians, philosophers, poets, great writers, thinkers, oftentimes talk about being opened to a portal of creativity where, for example, Mozart and Beethoven, uh, I, a little later I can talk about um, how Paul McCartney uh, downloaded the song, his masterpiece yesterday. But um, just take Beethoven and Mozart, is they experienced the symphonies in their entirety as if it was being downloaded 
oftentimes they would say from the divine or from the ecstatic or celestial music itself. Um, so there's the download of core creativity. And then another avenue or portal for experiencing core creativity is what I call the uh, nurturing upload from the ground up. And many um, of the notables that I interviewed for the book often talked about the importance of immersing themselves in nature, taking the daily walk. And some of them would even walk with bare feet. Others would just get out into nature and feel that these new ideas, uh, profound images, find artist painters I interviewed, talked about when they take a walk in nature, they start to feel the um, painting starting to come up from nature or from the ground itself. And then the third distinction um, of core creativity is what I called an inload. And that's when you go inside and you tap into what I call the user-friendly creative unconscious. And that's a part of our unconscious uh, mind or our unconscious experience where information, data, designs, and imagery, it comes in and it unfolds mainly from both the gut and from the heart center or the heart chakra for those who are familiar with the yogic systems. So the inload is it comes literally from a sensory felt experience. Many great painters like Mark Rothko, Jackson Pollock, um, John Basquiat, they often talked about that they would experience the painting in their somatic sense of self first, and then it would come forward. So that that's how I define core creativity. In the major distinction between regular creativity is just, it's the breakthrough to a, a new idea, like the big idea or a new way of writing or composing music or invention. Take for example, how did we come um, from the creative perspective to develop the iPhone, you know, the first smartphone? Well, Steve Jobs used to get on his plane with his family and take six or seven, um, what he called lousy, crappy, portable CD players, because he loved to listen to music on the flight from San Francisco over to Kyoto. And he was always throwing them on the ground in the plane, you know, ripping them apart because they never quite worked with any sophistication. And on one trip, he looks in the palm of his hand and he goes, what would it be like to invent a device that I could hold in the palm of my hand and it would have my entire record CD and tape collection on? And that when he got together with the inventor, uh, Jonathan Ivey at Apple, uh, the British guy, came the first iPod. And from the first iPod, which he took out of his little uh, front pocket and said just one more thing, it held a thousand downloadable songs. And that began to be the first uh, predecessor to what came to be the iPhone which was this extraordinary core creative device that included not only music, but it included surfing the internet, being able to do your email, 
being able to interact with apps and on and on and on. So the, the core creative um, approach helps people to get beyond their normal, ordinary, conscious mind and to suspend that and to drop into those receiving those downloads, those uploads, or the intuitive uh, inload. You say in your book, creativity involves reassembling what already exists, putting together ideas that haven't been combined before. It also involves perceiving differently instead of from a default perspective. Um, this this feels so great to me because I, I created a psychology model, which is exactly involving reassembling a lot of the theories and perspectives that are were there and putting them together that creates something else. Uh, the same thing you were talking about music or things that we already know, but someone um, either downloads, uploads, or goes inside and sees a different manifestation of what already exists that comes through the person and then it uh, it manifests itself outside. Yes, and the whole concept of taking sometimes what already exists in being creative to either reassemble it or reimagine and build onto what already exists. Take for example, uh, in psychology we had in the 60s, the invention of Gestalt therapy by Fritz Perls. And Fritz Perls, he studied psychoanalysis. He was a medical doctor um, and had some time with Freud. Um, and then he was very much interested in directing and acting. And so he studied with the great uh, European director Stanislavski and so then he goes to South Africa with his wife, Laura, and they put their um, thinking caps on and they decide what would it be like to take everything that we know from psychoanalysis, but make it a here and now therapy. Instead of a therapy that's focused on people's past, we bring it into the moment. And then they went off to uh, Japan and also uh, Tokyo, Kyoto and Osaka and they studied Zen meditation, which was all about coming into the moment, being into the moment, lose your mind and come into your sensations was one of the pillars of Gestalt therapy. And another important facet that I describe in my book called Creativity is mindfulness meditation, which also is a here and now meditation that focuses that in every now, there's a moment and then there's a the next moment. So the now is constantly shifting to the next moment, to the next now. And so they took the concepts from Zen meditation, from Gestalt, Lewin's field theory, from psychoanalysis, and they recontextualized it all. And they cut out what wasn't, uh, was no longer useful or helpful. And they synthesized it all together, like, you know, cooking a great soup and then served it up as this pristine new form of Gestalt therapy. And at first they were gonna actually call it concentration therapy because it was 
so focused on combining Zen meditation in a here and now approach to psychotherapy. But then the group of uh, thinkers like Isidore Fromm and Paul Goodman in New York City, they said, well, it's kind of clunky concentration therapy. Let's come up with a something unusual. And so they spent many, many months to receive, which I call in the first stage of uh, how do you enter core creativity? Well, the first stage in my book, I talk about you enter into absorbing mind. And so you have to absorb music and film and art and look at picture books and photography. And in that state of absorbing, they came up with the word gestalt, which in German means whole mind, body, and then energy body. So Gestalt therapy, which is an absolutely unique and new form and a new invention of therapy, but it has a history. And what all they had to do was take from here and take from there and reassemble it. So it's really important to pay homage to that. Sometimes you're going to get, um, like Floyd did, psychoanalysis, and that's just going to come right, right down, or guided imagery therapy. And the other times, what we need to do is we need to pay homage to and respect on what's already in front of us, what's already been thought up a bit, and then it's our task or job to take it to the next level. Now, musicians know this. Many of the musicians I interviewed uh, over the years Oftentimes, they have two pathways to accessing core creativity. In the first part of my book, I talk about a guitarist who he takes his guitar in, in the morning after he does his meditation, he goes into his home studio and he runs his fingers across the strings. Now, he's not playing. He's, he's just absorbing. He's yeah. waiting. That's right. Yeah, just exactly what you did, that, that sensory experience. And he's waiting, he says, for the guitar to speak to him. Now, that's a metaphor, because as we know, guitars don't talk. But when you're playing a guitar, and when I used to play, you can make a guitar talk. You can make it sing. You can make it scream. And so musicians oftentimes, they go into a zone of sensory connectivity where they actually use their sensory feelers and they spend time touching their instrument another uh, notable that i didn't interview but i had the wonderful pleasure to get to know was a very renowned drummer and he told me he runs his fingers across the skins of his drums and he awaits them to tell him what to write or how to play and that's just such a beautiful wonderful metaphor for the need to come out of your mind and to come into your sensations with an instrument. Now, the second portal, though, of core creativity, that's the portal of the gifted. And one of the good things about my book, and you had uh, mentioned kindly that I have lots of guided uh, meditations and visualizations to teach those of us who have ordinary creativity, meaning that Every person is born with the capacity 
to be a creative and to unlock that creativity and to apply it, to manifest it in their everyday life. Then there's a whole class, as we know, a very blessed, and many of the creatives that I interviewed would oftentimes say to me, well, my creativity as a musician, yes, um, I've worked very hard. Let's not forget the 250,000 hours that I've worked at my guitar or uh, at the keyboards. But I was blessed. I know I was born into a musical family. I have a sense that when I first started to play music, that I could play any instrument and listen to a song and play it five minutes later by ear. That's in a realm of what I call the uh, gifted and the sacred. And that's, of course, a portal that we should all aspire towards, but we shouldn't put ourselves down or get discouraged if, like Paul McCartney. Yeah, we can't expect it. If it's there, it's beautiful. And if not, we could, uh, what you also say in your book is that there are habits that we could create, the rituals that we could create uh, in order to tap into all, any of these three forms. But if it was one of those genius ways or innate ways that it was there, what a beauty. Yeah, Bob Dylan was quoted um, in 1988 meeting up uh, for an afternoon with Paul McCartney. And he was quoted as saying, Paul is unlike anybody that I've ever come across that I pay homage towards. He can do it all, write, sing, play every single instrument. We oftentimes think of Paul McCartney as, well, he was the bass player in um, the Beatles. What we forget is he was only the bass player because they needed a bass player. He could play lead guitar as well as George Harrison could play in rhythm guitarist uh, John Lennon. And he could play the drums very, very well, not as well as Ringo, uh, nobody's like him. But those kind of cats, they live in a domain of what's called the sacred when it comes to creativity. It's clearly a gift. But what's also important that is very applicable to those of us that uh, want to perfect and fulfill our own creativity is, as Leonard Cohen said, and let's not forget about the 10,000 hours that I spent perfecting my craft. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you talked about uh, Gestalt, and in your book, you also talk about the another, um, let's say, download that it could be maybe all three of them to upload the download and the inner when it shows up in dreams. And you beautifully explain how from a Gestalt perspective, you can also look at your dreams and um, see how much the inner part of you is coming up and showing you your subconscious creativity as it brings it into your consciousness as you choose to look at it. I'm really glad that you brought up dreams because we're talking about Paul McCartney, his masterpiece, right? Clearly a core creative download. Um, he dreamt it. Yeah. And um, he wakes up, he writes it down, he had a little tape recorder, spoke into it, awakens in the morning, and I think he was with his girlfriend at the time in this flat in London, and he closes his eyes, and his first thought is, oh my God, 
I think I just dreamt that this extraordinary song. What was it? <laughs> and he gets up and he realizes that because um, he had a habit of keeping a tape recorder and also um, a writing notebook uh, by his bed. Well, our dreams, Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud, both said uh, the royal road. Freud said it's the royal road to the unconscious. Carl Jung said it's the, the dream is the royal road to the collective in the universal unconscious in addition to our own personal unconscious. And so, for example, when I was a, um, a young man um, studying in Amherst, Massachusetts, I was trying to make a decision. Do I go uh, to an East Coast university for my advanced degrees or do I go to a West Coast university? And so my therapist at the time, who he and I did a lot of dream work, he said, well, why don't you run? Why don't you dream about it this week? And I had this dream where I was sitting in a covered wagon, an old-fashioned covered wagon with horses. And there was another figure, which I think was symbolic of just my unconscious, sitting shotgun. And I was crossing up over the Rocky Mountains. And when you come through the Donna Pass, you can see the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And I saw the Golden Gate Bridge. And so I woke up. And I wrote it down, and my association was, go west, young man, which was an old Western saying at the time of the gold rush. And the Golden Gate Bridge in the dream was, there's going to be gold for you if you go west. So I packed up my little Volkswagen and went off to California and have had a very uh, um, thriving and uh, very uh, fulfilling and creative field that came from my being in the West. So listening to what we dream about nightly is important. I remember um, talking to my husband about uh, some of the um, projects that he had. And uh, one night he woke up around three o'clock in the morning, like jolting and sitting on bed. And in the dream, all of the patent had shown up in the software that he was gonna make. And it was like, he woke up and he ran into uh, his office going, starting to write everything. So I, in the morning, as I'm like, what happened to you? He said, by golly, I got it, I got it. And he patented and it was a beautiful, he got an award for that patent. And I remember part of the um, essence of the, the model that I created also was I was in a cruise and I was just sit, laying down and had ordering a drink and this uh, the, the person who was serving me turned around and left and this all of these emotions showed up and I was like why would I ask about these emotions okay you're okay um all of these emotions showed up and I just was I was with it and kind of like going internally sensing and going and then I kind of fell asleep beside the uh the pool and I woke up with this concept of how to go back to where we made a decision about these things and internally and uh, you know how to go from taking some of the psychological models and the trauma models and going and finding it um, to dismantle those core beliefs so it's it's very fascinating that how um, there's a combination of the com the 
consciousness, the subconscious and the collective consciousness and the portals that we could find ourselves connecting to them in order to uh, bring these types of innovations, creativity and, and um, reassembling as your word is um, all of it together and then manifesting it and bringing it out. Yes, in both your work with uh, open to the poles of advancing trauma and your husband, uh, his being able to, to download uh, the software and the program. Those are classic examples of modern day, the use of uh, core creativity. And then historically, for example, when I was researching uh, other famous notables, um, the writer Robert Louis Stevenson, he used to dream entire chapters in whatever he was writing at night in both Henry Miller, Ananis Nin, and um, uh, Ernest Hemingway. They all always said that they had to eventually go to bed at night because they knew that their dreams were going to be giving them guidance in what they were going to be writing the following day. And so regardless of how um, much all three of them ever partied a lot in Paris, they got enough sleep most of them all got to bed by 12 and would wake up around six o'clock because core creatives, they all have many, many important rituals. And a couple of the rituals just to mention is most all of them awaken early in the morning. And whether they are steeped in a particular Eastern form of meditation like Buddhist mindfulness meditation or transcendental meditation or just a very simple Zen meditation of sitting quietly, counting your breaths, noticing your breaths. Almost all the creatives that I interviewed and many of the ones that I've read through in history, they got up very early in the morning, usually five or six. And the second ritual they had is they would sit down with a good cup of coffee or tea and then after they had their coffee and tea they would take time to partake in some form of contemplative quietude and again some actually formalized it as formal meditation where other creatives they talk about it as spending time awaiting the download without even efforting like without even the structure of a specialized form of meditation. But they all had in common that quiet period early in the morning, and some had it late at night, because you have to make space that not all the creatives are early uh, morning risers. In the history of the Rolling Stones, famous rock group from uh, England, they used to, for many decades, go in and record from 12 at night until eight in the morning. And why is that? Well, for them as a group, there was something about that in the night, which is a representation of the shadow, that they were able to uh, become intimately connected, to listen to that muse and to receive the inload and the download. Um, and so sometimes people's uh, biorhythmic patterns for arising early or not, or staying up really late because you have the night owls, you know, 
the locks of those of us that like to go to sleep early and wake up early. And the owls, it's completely opposite. The owls actually feed on this concept of no light. There's something about pulling from the darkness that brings alive their portal of the core creative download. Yes. You also talk about how to activate witnessing self. And when to witness self, you become less emotionally reactive and then more open to obviously new experiences because you're not caught into this web of going back and forth and getting caught. So it seems like then your um, venues are open in order to uh, experience new experiences. Yeah, very, very important um, term and a very important function for all of us who are very interested in receiving either the download, the inload or the upload. And the witnessing self comes from the Buddhist schools of mindfulness meditation, mm -hmm. where through direct and intensified focus of awareness on an object, either something like a candle or looking out at the blue sky or a tree, or an inward focused sense of awareness on your third eye, tip of the nose, or the heart center. And sometimes some people like to focus on their navel because the Dan Tian in Chinese, it means the power center. And sometimes people receive an inload from their gut. There's something about listening to your gut. And so the observing witness comes from the part of our mind that we train to like when we're watching a play we're sitting in the audience and we're a witness to the play the witnessing awareness is that part of the mind that we can cultivate that begins to witness ourselves sitting in the movie or sitting in the theater watching the play up on screen and there's oftentimes this creative dialogue that takes place. Me being an Irishman and from um, Boston, the Celtics used to play in a place called the Boston Garden. And they used to joke that the reason why the Celtics would win so often and they would get so many Hail Mary jump shots from the corner was that there was an imaginary leprechaun. There was a leprechaun sitting on the basket, bringing the ball in. It, it, it's a nice fable and it, it's worked for decades and decades. But the leprechaun is an archetype in Jungian psychology, the witnessing awareness. It's that little guy or girl that's sitting there saying to you, okay, yeah, take that shot. Okay, go, run with that idea. Or sometimes the little leprechaun witnessing awareness says, slow down, Ron. You're going too fast here. I think we need to sit with this over the course of days or weeks or even months until the witnessing awareness comes in and goes, okay, that chapter is perfect now. Let it go. Send it off to the editor. Yes. Everyone, um, Dr. Ronald Alexander, the book is Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. And Jack Cornfield says, encourages you, your gifts, and your spirit to come alive. 
I remember I just wanted to share with you. I remember I was reading Jack Kornfield's um, book, um, The Path of the Heart. And uh, it was the first time that I actually was getting um, uh, introduced to uh, the Buddhist and the East. Um, I mean, I've done yoga, but, but mm -hmm. this type of work. And it was fascinating to me because... Um, if I didn't know better, I would think that it had created something in me just by reading the book, which all of the Kundalini energies come up. I would, if you were gonna, if I would have gone to my psychiatrist or someone, a friend, and they would say, oh, you're probably on a manic stage, but it was just um, opening me to reading and looking from that perspective. And then I used to live in Northern California and you know that um, the tunnel that goes from the East Bay, Yes. And, uh, I was going to a workshop, actually, a, a meditation workshop. And then as I was driving, um, suddenly there was an accident in front of me and I was driving like 80 in the morning and there was accidents of two cars uh, stopping like this. And it was in the middle of the tunnel. So you really couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Dr. Alexander, it was the first time in my life that I had experienced this consciousness, this awareness that. I knew exactly, and if you would have told me this, I wouldn't have believed it before, but it was this awareness of exactly how much to push on um, the pedals of the gas or the brake, where I wouldn't, what I would, the person behind me wouldn't hit me, and I wouldn't hit the person in front of me. And this awareness showed up as if I knew it all, and I was part of it all, and it was instant. And I didn't get into an accident. Nobody got into an accident except those two who were. And so it was, you know, we were able to move around and not kill anybody. And after that, you know, usually when I'm in this scenarios, I will shake afterward or I'm, you know, feeling like, oh my God, what happened? Anxiety, nothing. It's just like smooth. I went and, and drove. And I told my therapist at that point that gave me that book, I'm like, I cannot believe that just reading the book and going through these exercises um, and not even telling you that I meditated every day, but even that was so powerful. So when, when you talk about how to uh, bring yourself into this present moment, uh, it really is effective. It really is amazing. Sometimes it's bringing your own creativity, but sometimes like you were sharing, it opens you up into a whole different layers that you would have never imagined you have access to. Yes, and your story is a, a fantastic uh, example of you opening to a portal of synchronicity where you were receiving from another domain very important information that went into your feet your nervous system through your unconscious, perhaps your unconscious was connected to the divine or some people like to call it the source or the force. And you tapped right into it at, at a moment where most people would freak out. And because they freaked out, then the situation would get worse, but you didn't. You see, what you did is you probably took a, a big breath and you went right into that zone. And in that zone, I call in my book, it's the zone of cre creative flow. You were in a flow state. Now, of course it was 
in an emergency uh, for yourself. But famous athletes like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, um, they describe Michael Jordan going right into that state that you went into. When there's nine seconds left on the clock in the championship, they're in game seven, and there's only one shot left to take. And they all describe that they entered into this extraordinary flow state where they came out of their rational mind, their conscious mind, and they opened up to just trusting in the sensory experience of going up in the air, taking the shot, and watching the ball go all the way into uh, the net. And that comes from someone like yourself being spiritually evolved and aware enough so that your higher self, your inner self, it had a creative choice in that moment. And you took it immediately because you're in touch with that user-friendly creative unconscious. Yes. You also talked about meditations to complete loss and uh, emotions of sadness. Um, and um, that is so important because I do think that many times when people begin to go in, um, I, I usually say it's like an oil well, which the garbage first comes out and then you hit the oil. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of times at the beginning, it's this discomfort about the minute that you look inside, all of these things that are waiting to be cleared are showing themselves up to you. And it's like, clear me, clear me until you, you know, you hit the oil, you hit the gold. Can you share a little bit about uh, what you share in your book about completing with loss and emotions of sadness? Yes. In, in one of my many trips to India, I asked to visit a white lotus uh, garden. And I was absolutely shocked and stunned that the most beautiful flower in India, it grows in a mud pond. And at night, it closes up and goes to sleep. And then in the morning, it wakes up and it opens. So, you know, there's the piece about dreams and being in touch in the, in the mud, of course. The mud is our pain. It's our suffering. And historically, so many of the creatives I studied all had extraordinary losses uh, worked into their life experience. What makes the difference between going through loss and then being able to be creative is a person recognizing that the depth of the wound has a core fertile uh, enormous amount of creativity resides inside of every loss that uh, we undergo and so that it is really important not to try to get over your loss or get through your loss or uh, get beyond your loss it's important to utilize your loss. And there's a story in, in um, Zen. There's two gardeners living in a village. And one uh, gardener, gardener number one, he builds a fence between his farm and his next door neighbor's farm. And he has a whole bunch of horses. So he takes all his manure and he starts shoveling it over into the flower and the vegetable garden uh, of farmer number two. And to his surprise and delight, 
Palma number two never says anything to him about him dumping all of his horse manure uh, into his garden. A year goes by and he sees that his plants and his garden, they're all very, really kind of small, little tomatoes, little cucumbers, little squashes, etc. And flowers are not all that rich. He climbs up, looks over the fence, and he sees these gigantic pumpkins and squashes and watermelons and corn stalks. And he realizes gardening number two has taken all of the fertilizer. That gardening number one thinks is just, oh, just get rid of it, throw it away, which is loss. And he utilizes it to make the richest uh, garden in the village. So it's so important and essential that when you undergo a loss, I tell all of my uh, patients um, in psychotherapy is there's always a silver lining in one's loss. There are many aphorisms uh, to use, like if the divine mixes you a whole bunch of uh, lemons or leaves you a whole bunch of lemons, mix them together, make lemonade, uh, when the divine closes one window, she opens another. Um, pain and suffering, when it comes to the creative process, it's difficult to create. And this is from my interviews. Most people in all the research that I did uh, supports this. It's not the lost state where you create from. Usually you're depressed, you're sad, you're in grief. It's the transition state. So we don't really create, there's a lot of mythic lore that great creatives create out of their depression and their, their sadness. They, they actually, they utilize it, but the state that they create out of is called the transitionary state. It's when they're actually coming out of it. And the late great poet, songwriter, Leonard Cohen, uh, who I happen to um, have the unique opportunity uh, to meet with several times. Um, he said, I, depression was the sea uh, of sadness and loss that I swam in. However, I created once upon the shore. I created once upon arriving at the shore, meaning embrace the ocean that you're swimming in, whatever it is, and we all do swim in a lot of pain and loss, but look for the transition state. Know the transition state is coming. No matter how bad one's pain and suffering is, it always shifts in the same way when it's raining and it's cloudy, eventually the sun comes out. Everyone, Dr. Ronald Alexander, Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. Dr. Alexander, in one minute, um, is there anything we haven't shared that you really want everybody to know? Just that it's really important, and I've found it personally in my own life. Um, I've obtained so much uh, richness and so much direct access to my own creative unconscious by sitting quietly, minimally five minutes a day, but I like to sit tw 20 minutes up to 40 minutes once or twice a day. That I feel 
and it doesn't have to be formal meditation. It can be Christian contemplative prayer. It can be Islamic prayer. Um, is to take time to mine into the richness of that sacred, quiet time each and every day and to create and go forth from that. Beautiful. Um, everyone go to corecreativity.com uh, to not only get the book, but they, they can also get the book on yeah. Amazon, right? Yeah. Amazon. They can get hardcover or Kindle. Wonderful. Thank you so much for spending you, time with me. Thank you, Doctor. It was a pleasure. And for everyone who's out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.